This is our People and Mother Earth on KWSO. A new group of wolves are calling Warm Springs home. Austin Smith Jr. from the Branch of Natural Resources says wolves have a long history on our landscape. Pre-European contact, of course, this whole area was covered by wolves. You know, you, um, you know, a lot of the uh, dog families evolved from wolves, so they're predominantly in this area, and they're they covered pretty much this whole area. Um, there was packs established up and down through the Cascades in Central Oregon. Uh, the tribal history of them is, you know, they're actually part of the culture. You know, there was actually um, respect for the wolves. There was um, you know, they were an equal, uh, I guess, an equal participant in uh, hunting and, you know, on the landscape, just like lions and bears are. So the natives see them as kind of like your brother or your equal in that fashion. And so if there was a lot of cattle and livestock in the area. Once the tribes were settled, you know, we became livestock owners, and so we had to manage them. And, of course, what are wolves' easy pickings was, was for livestock as well as the, the game herds in the area. So a lot of that came from, you know, just the, the European model for um, reducing predators. So you go into, like, the um, mid-1800s, there was a lot of removal and extirpation of wolves in our area. So there was a lot of trapping. There was a lot of poisoning and removal of wolves in um, Oregon and pretty, pretty much the whole lower 48 states. You know, it was uh, at that point where, you know, they almost got down to the point of, uh, you know, extinction in our area in general. But, you know, of course, back in, you go fast forward to the 70s, you know, the wolves were were listed as an endangered species. Um, and so the ESA listing of them um, involved the protection of them. And, of course, they were basically protected in the lower 48, which there really wasn't any in. But you're more or less talking about um, herds or, you know, packs um, further north into Canada and Alaska. Well, in the 90s, they um, started seeing that there are wolves starting to make their way in through, like, um, northern states. So, you know, some of the, like, Idaho, Montana, Washington, they were starting to have wolves start coming across the Canadian border. Because up in Canada, there was... um, there was really no protection. They still hunted them. There was a surplus of wolf packs, and they were just naturally spreading back into their um, their habitat. So in the 90s, the um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, with assistance from wildlife services and um, state agencies, um, started looking at going to do some capture of wolves in Canada and doing a reintroductory project on um, Yellowstone National Park and parts of Idaho. So they captured a bunch of wolves and um, relocated them to the parks and to identified habitat, released them, and kind of gave them a bump, and they just let let them go, see what they do. So they naturally started filling in those areas where there was a surplus amount of uh, herds of elk and deer. You know, there's a lot of big authors out there talk about how wolves change um, rivers and you know, how like the increase in game herds really hit down on your watershed health. You a lot of riparian vegetation knocking down. There was a lot of disease issues going on. And so what they realized is that the wolves were um, were a keystone species. And, you know, a keystone species identified as a, you know, like you think about like a keystone bridge or a bridge. There's a keystone in that in that bridge that holds everything up. 
So it's same thing with like uh, it's an animal that balances um, the ecosystem. So that's what the predator was. The wolves were the top predator out there. They were able to balance the herds of the elk, get them moving around more, reducing stress on the watersheds, on the willows, on keek habitat. Keystone species identified as a, it's an animal that balances um, the ecosystem. So that's what the predator was. The wolves were the top predator out there. They were able to balance the herds of the elk, get them moving around more, reducing stress on the watersheds, on the willows, on keek habitat. You know, that basically, it all evolved into um, the protection and preservation of the common pool resources, the watershed cycles, the nutrient cycles, all of those that, that actually it, overall what they ended up finding out was it allowed um, willows to come in, beavers to come back in, dam up areas, increase the watershed, improve the water health, less erosion from um, big game, hanging out on riparians, which that sediment flowed into the creeks and the rivers and that smothered out eggs for salmon and steelhead and other trout other fish species and so overall they they basically just disturbed the the um, ungulate or you know elk and deer population to a management level on you know, a lot of these studies were done on the parks of course and other watersheds where they were and so from there they spread out through um, Idaho Wyoming Mont- rest of Montana um, Washington and eventually Oregon and so that's where you get to where we're at you know, it was probably the 2000, um, early 2000s to 2010, 12, where the wolves start, really started establishing themselves back into Oregon. And so that's where we came in. We started monitoring them. We had wolves coming through in 2010, 2012, not really settling, but coming through. And then eventually in 2015, 16, and 17, we kind of got a little bit more reports of more wolves activity. You know, they're actually being seen. They're not just the onesies and twosies here and there. So then we identified an actual breeding pair in in 2018. And so in 2018, we set out game cameras, um, did some track checks, um, found a rendezvous site, and we actually found pups that year. So um, we already knew they probably uh, reproduced the year prior, but we didn't have enough uh, um, equipment at the time and time to survey and whatnot. So from that point, we've you know they identified an area. What cool thing with wolves is they they select an area and establish themselves in places where there's um, the abundance of food, the abundance of space. You know their freedom to move about, harvest game. Uh, rear their pups, all of that, you know, that's den sites that are isolated, key areas. So one of the key areas that they identified was our northern part of the reservation, which was actually a, a project area for improving watershed health as well as improving the uh, game herds and um, timber management. So it was a really productive area, so they decided to set up shop there, and that's the White River Pack. Um, the population of those White River Pack um, went as high as 12 uh, wolves in a pack. Um, throughout the three previous years, there's been some wildfires, logging operations, and just in general, you know, they've um, dispersed out, but they're still established in that area. So the White River Pack still is found up on the north end of the reservation. And then they disperse to our south and kind of identify more areas. And so there was another group of um, 
a repair found south of the reservation on the Metolius unit. So there's there's a um, there is evidence shown that they are uh, reproducing. So there's a lactating um, female in that group. Um, they're yet to see pups yet, but they're pretty sure that they're you know it has reproduced. Um, for the other group, that's the newest one that's in the news is the um, the Warm Springs pack, as they're calling it. You know, typically they pick the closest wildlife management unit. Well, in this, in general, this one was found specifically on the reservation, so they call. So we're calling it the Warm Springs pack now, and that one's pretty much the cent- central point of uh, the reservation in the Cascades. So you're talking like from like Jefferson. Um, Creek all the way up to Mill Creek. That's kind of their identified area they're sticking to. So they're moving around pretty much where the Lions Head fire was. We've had um, hunting closures up there, road closures, and there's just a surplus of game up there now with all the new green up, the new habitat coming in post-fire. So it's uh, pretty dynamic because they're utilizing that area. We've um, first identified them in, um, I think it was early 2020, we knew there was a black wolf in the area. It was first found up in the mountains, hung out around the White River Pack for a bit, then disappeared. Um, they caught him on camera up near Mount Hood, um, along the Cascade, down Red Wolf Pass, um, around Trout Lake. We had sightings. And then, you know, kind of disappeared. So um, fast forward to um, 2021, we start getting pictures of him again. And then all of a sudden we start getting reports of him with another wolf, a gray. So we're thinking like, oh, you know what? We're missing some wolves from the White River Pack. There's a chance that maybe one of them linked up with him. And so we knew it was a him because of, you know, with sex identification in our trail cameras. He came up and um, used the same um, P, P post you know, that every other wolf uses coming through. So you're like, oh, that's a male, black male. So... From there, we just kept monitoring them. We tried to get a traps, get traps on the ground to try and get a collar on. Unfortunately, the, you know, there's heavy um, woodcutting activity and recreational use up in the area where we're trying to trap, and um, we proved to be unsuccessful. Um, they were in the area; they just didn't step in the right place. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, the next trip was there was people woodcutting in the area. They had dogs running around, kids running around, so we didn't want to risk catching somebody's foot or somebody's um some dog's paw so we pulled our traps and so now here we are we um, we've been monitoring a lot of the uh trail cameras throughout the reservation and we put one up pretty high and pretty low and kind of a mid-level so we end up lucking out and catching them using some timber timber roads um low maintenance roads only used when hauling out and so less human activity well they were running through there and lo and behold there was a couple of pups on the camera and easy identified as uh this pack because there's a black in there so a couple of the pups look like they're maybe black one black at least and another, another gray so so they're here now and they're running around natural resources austin smith jr shares some perspective about what to expect about the future wolf population around here one thing with predators, there's this predator dynamic, it's a, the um, predator and prey system. So with wolves, lions, and bears, they kind of, you know, they, they their population goes up and it goes down. It all depends on their prey. So for bears, they're more or less um, omnivores. They're going to eat everything. 
So they kind of maintain their own population size. For lions, it all depends on the, the herd health or supplemental food like horses and cattle. So for us, you know, um, one of the key things that we look at with wolves is like, do they have enough prey? So do we have enough elk? Yes, our elk are doing really, really good on the reservation. The numbers are probably surpassed the deer at this point. And that's just, you know, health are more proliferant on the environment. They're in the area. They're doing a lot better. They're, they're high in security. They, you know, more mobile. For deer, on the other hand, you know, they're, they, they're really impacted by habitat issues. So, you know, there, there's issues there that we need to work through. But for wolves and their population size, you know, they're going to go up. But then maybe the prey base isn't there. Maybe we have a bad winter or drought conditions. Uh, there's a lot of uh, canid disease and, I mean, you name it. There's distemper, parvo, mange, all that stuff's out there. Same stuff that affects res dogs affects wolves as well. Um, but you know they and they go through it, and you don't have you don't always have the pups survive every year. You know there's cases where we've seen five pups, and by end of the year, there are only two of them survived. So there's instances like that. I mean whether they're predated on, hit by vehicles, or you know in some situations shot by um, hunters or poachers mistakenly, that happens as well because they're a small size. They look like a coyote, and some people shoot them. Unfortunately, that does happen, but um, as the population does grow and we're going to monitor the, the packs on the reservation and we're going to come up with like basically a if we're our population of deer and elk starts dropping below the management objective. First, we look at, all right, is the habitat sustainable? Um, yes or no. Is the hunter harvest um, sustainable? Yes or no. Is the... Um, Poaching issues, the vehicle collisions, how can we prevent that? You know, in, increase law enforcement out there on the field, checking more tags, letting people know we're still around. So then you go into like the natural systems of, of drought and wildfire, um, winter and freeze and, you know, all of that. That's going to affect our game health. And then you look at the wolves, you know, are they going to survive off of that? Because not only do the wolves eat deer and elk, they also eat smaller game. And actually, they uh, the collars we've had on wolves, they're showing more of a more or less scavenging than anything. You know, there's a lot of large uh, um, critters on the ground, like horses and cows. And, you know, if their cow dies um, naturally or a horse dies from vehicle collision or naturally, you know, the wolves are on it scavenging, cleaning up the area. Um, and then also during the spring, we've seen wolves take uh, colts and, you know, calves and or even wild dogs. They've done that as well. But, you know, we haven't seen large impacts from the current pack we have. Um, they kind of like went up high. The, the elk and deer population was still pretty good. It was still solid. We were still sitting at our management objective of 20 bucks and 20 bulls to 20 bucks per 100 does and 20. 20 bulls per 100 cows is kind of how we measure the ratio. So if we still have that ratio, we're sitting at our management objective to allow hunter harvest. Um, and also we calculate the factors of predation, vehicle collisions, drought, you name it, into that just to sustain a herd health. So I guess what I'm getting to is it all depends on their food. So if their food's dropping off and there's still a high number, typically you're going to see the wolves um, decrease their numbers. Um, they just, it won't support them. Um, they can't eat themselves out of house and home. That's just not 
unless they're in a controlled environment. So, which they're not here, they could just pick up and move. They're very much a journalist species. If they don't have the food in one valley, they're going to pick up and go to the next to sustain them. And they're constantly moving. They're never just in one place. They have a particular territory. And we've seen the White River Pack do that. They've picked up from the res and moved far north as the Dell's watershed and hunted. Or they went up on the you know crest of the Cascade and hunted. And so they're moving around. They're not just all in one place. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying they're seeing wolves everywhere. Well, actually, you're seeing probably just the same wolves traveling all over the place. And so that accounts for, you know, we, we know the numbers are fairly low compared to other areas like eastern Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. So, you know, it's it's at a manageable level now. But as they do increase, we'll, we will look at our predator management plans and develop our wolf management plan for the reservation and go from there. I've been out in the field before and have seen wolves have actually staggered upon their den site and they'll show your teeth if they feel threatened by you, but typically they're really interested in humans. They'll look around at you, stand around, and they usually just leave. You know, a lot of people feel scared because of the, um, you know, this our cultural belief in the big bad wolf, you know, from that to... You know, it's movies and stories and about wolves. I mean, there's no documented human um, attacks or fatalities in the lower 48 um, for over 100 years or more. So, I mean, there's cases where people have been surrounded by wolves and they're out either fishing, hunting, or doing work. But in the end, they really don't bother you. Um, you know, if you, you're not bothering them, hanging out in their den site, trying to look for their pups, stuff like that, they probably leave you alone. Uh, typically, what I see is I'll move into an area if, like, I was out doing a deer survey or, you know, tracking them down, checking game cameras. They'll, I'll see them, and they'll just let me know I'm there. I'll hear a howl or two. And then as I leave, then they kind of communicate and let me you – know, They sometimes they'll even follow me out of their territory. And so, you know, for the most part, I just say, you know, people just leave them alone. Um, that They won't bother you, but – you know, there are cases where they do um, go after livestock. So in that situation, you know, um, they, they are still protected, but there still is also the health and human and protection of um, property. So if there's like dog attacks or livestock attacks, we, you know, we typically address those with, um, you know, a follow-up. We're going for some um, depredation prevention funding to help out livestock owners. We have that funding available. Um, the program's really at infancy stages right now, but we're, we're going to be getting re more research and more um, funding to do like um, methods to reduce prey um, depredation on like livestock and dogs. So mainly to, for those ranchers up in their um, area of wolf activity. And then also, <clears throat> you know, we're going for some compensation funding. So like if, uh, somebody's cow gets attacked and dies from a wolf attack or any of some any sort of that you know livestock attacks or take so what we'll do is we developed a program where we have um you know a biologist like myself or one of my staff or assistants from the state or the u.s fish and service to come out and do like a full-blown investigation kind of like a almost equivalent to a um, criminal investigation. So we'll have to go out there and take some forensics of, you know, bite sizes, hemorrhaging, 
pre postmortem um, wounds because you know you don't know the tail unless you've seen it firsthand if it's an actual wolf kill because major like I said majority of the time we've what we've found is it's uh, um, the salvage of uh, carcasses out there that are either hit or die naturally. So we'll do our research of that. We'll go in, do our investigation, um, whatever we come up with. If it shows like there's a clear um, depredation issue, and then we can do a compensation to um, a percentage of the market value of the beef or horse or whatever was taken. So we're going for that funding that's supported by U.S. Fish and Life Service grants. And so we'll develop a committee that will like review all the evidence, all that. And it's sounds like a long process, but really it's like, hey, here's a um, cow that was attacked over the weekend. This is where it was last located. And once we start getting collars on wolves, we could actually identify cluster points where the wolves been. So like if a cow dies and, you know, like overnight and then like the next two days, there's a wolf on it. And we look at the collar data showing like, well, this cow looked like it died two or three days ago, but no wolves were over here, you know during that time period, there's no way they could have could have killed this animal. They just came in because it was a rotten carcass and it was something to eat. So there are situations like that that happened in the past. Um, or there's um, like clear observation of a depredation. So we had some unmarked cattle on a north end of the reservation, basically wild, wild livestock. And one of our firefighting crews during the S-503 fire witnessed those wolves attacking a calf. So they called us up. We went up there. The calf was still alive when my first um, bio got up there. And then when I made it up there, the calf had um, had died of its wounds. And we clearly can tell it was a wolf kill, not only from the statement of the firefighters, but also just investigating and seeing the, um, the pre-mortem wounds. And so, like, yep, the bite size, the location of the bites, you know, they, they you know, they cause a lot of damage, especially when they're going in for a kill on a on a large game animal or a large uh, livestock animal. That was wildlife biologist and general manager for the Warm Springs branch of Natural Resources, Austin Smith Jr. on our people in Mother Earth. I'm Sue Matters reporting for 91.9 FM, KWSO.